Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Today, I'm, I'm starting the topic of the giant of rejection. One of the giants we face is a giant called rejection, and rejection must fall. The spirit of rejection must fall. And um, I'm not going to take a poll of how many of you struggle with the spirit of rejection, because the spirit of rejection would tell you not to raise your hand, so it wouldn't be a fair poll, um, because you'd be afraid everybody would be rejecting you uh, or judging you. And that's, that's one of the things. The word rejection is kind of a big umbrella word for a lot of things. This, this giant, this Goliath, has several brothers. One of his brothers is named insecurity, um, uh, feeling insecure about, about yourself, about your position, about who you are as a person. One of his giants is, is named inferiority. Uh, you feel less than others. You feel like other people could probably do things that you're doing probably better than you. They could probably be in charge of stuff that you're in charge of better than you. Um, some of us uh, swing to the other side. Uh, another uh, brother of this giant is, is perfectionism. So some of us uh, pursue, relentlessly per- pursue perfection um, because we are constantly trying to prove ourselves, uh, because we feel rejected, because we, the, the giant of rejection has taken up residence in our heart. And so, so we constantly dot every I, cross every T. We make sure that nobody could say anything negative about us because whenever they do, that giant of rejection rears its ugly head. And, 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 and many times this giant of rejection causes us to self-sabotage even, even good relationships, right? Right? Because we, we imagine that, that they're going to reject us. Like once they really get to know us, then they're going to reject us. That's what the giant rejection has caused us to believe and lied to us time and time and time again. And so as we get close to people, as we get near to people, there will come a time when we get too close, we freak out and we self-sabotage that relationship because we really believe deep down that we are rejected and that we will remain rejected. Um, people who, who, who suffer from the giant of rejection, they, they, they often can't ha- handle any kind of confrontation because any kind of confrontation is just proof to them that they've been rejected. So any kind of uh, correction or, hey, maybe you should think about this or maybe you should do this differently. Oh, that's clearly you're rejecting me. Um, and, so they, and so they pull away from that. Uh, they, they usually struggle um, in social situations because, because the giant of rejection, there's, there's, there's actual rejection where people have actually rejected you and your ideas and, your, and you even as a person. Uh, whether it was through a divorce, whether it was through even even as a child, your parent left you and you took that as rejection of you. Some of us uh, were, 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 were abused as children, and that causes us to think, well, what's wrong with me uh, that I would be treated like this? We, 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 we internalize it, and the giant of rejection rises up and says, that's right, you're not good enough, you're not worthy, you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough. And this is true. This isn't just true like for people who, who maybe didn't score above the five on scale on the hot or not scale. You know what I'm saying? Like this is true for the most beautiful people on, on, the, on the most prestigious campuses. Uh, you, you, you're going to find these, these giants of insecurity. Uh, because a lot of us have false positives, right? Like if, 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 our, if our insecurity comes maybe from our weight, then when we see somebody who's skinny, we say, well, how could they be insecure because they're skinny? It's a false positive. It's an idea that, well, if I was skinny, I wouldn't be insecure. I wouldn't be struggling with the giant of rejection. But, but the truth is that it's a false positive because the giant of rejection is not as small as, as, as a scale. It's not as easy 
as a diet. You don't get rid of them simply by, uh, you know, getting plastic surgery or, or making yourself more beautiful or, or going to school, making yourself more smart. You know, the giant of rejection is not rooted in your actual ability or, or disabilities. The giant of rejection is a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual giant that's come into your life that is speaking to your very core. He's speaking to your identity, speaking to who you are as a person. And he may use some of the things like how you look or how you perform at school or how you perform on the job or different things. He may use some of these things, but, but he keeps you enslaved uh, by his threats about who you are as a person. And, and if you're going to move forward with God, that giant must fall. The giant of rejection in your life must go down. You must see that giant fall in your life if you're going to step into who God has called you to be. Because even like people who come to church, people who get saved can still suffer from, deal with a giant of rejection. Uh, people who are overly offendable. <laughs> None of you, just some of those people in San Marcos like that I was preaching to this Sunday, this applies to them. Um, other churches, this applies to them. It doesn't apply to City Chapel because none of you guys deal with this. But uh, just, just to give you an example, um, you know, people who are overly offendable. For instance, like, like you may walk into a room and people are laughing and the first thought you have is they're laughing at me. This is not even real rejection. It's just perceived rejection. That's actually happened here in City Chapel, <laughs> that exact situation. Um, it, 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 it's, it's, it's this thing that is always in your head, is always on your mind, is always in your heart telling you that you're not good enough, they're not going to accept you, they don't accept you, they're looking at you funny, it's because you look goofy, it's because you talk weird, it's because you can't pronounce this or that or blah. And, you know, and, and constantly, the spirit of rejection is constantly digging away at your self-worth, at your, at your self-confidence. And so we don't step into what God has called us to do because this giant of rejection stops us. The, the giant of rejection will make sure you never actually get in the fight. It'll make sure you never actually get into the fight because, because it'll stop you before you even step onto the arena. You won't even take the risk. You won't even take the chance. You won't even reach out and make the connection. You won't even start up the conversation. You won't, you won't even uh, research starting that business. You won't even research starting that ministry. You won't even volunteer for any ministry at all because you're afraid that, well, you won't be that great at it, and then you get rejected from that, and then what's going to happen if you're not an usher anymore? God forbid. Um, you know, and, and so, so, you, so you just won't, you won't, you won't step out because the giant of rejection says, no, 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 no. It's, it's just, it's just too, 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 too dangerous for you. And so today I want to start to chip away at this, at this giant. And honestly, it just, it's going to be a drop in the bucket. Um, that's why the small groups are so important, because we're going to dig deeper into it this week. Um, but I want to look at the story of David and Goliath and look at the, the giant of rejection that is just all over the pages of 1 Samuel chapter 17. Um, David faces rejection time and time again. And David is not a picture, like I said, of us. He is a picture of Jesus Christ. And so we see how David overcomes rejection. And this is how Christ has overcome rejection. And this is how we can enter into that victory in our own personal lives. Um, in verse 20, we find David rising early in the morning and he leaves his sheep with the keeper and took provisions and went um, to the battlefield as his father Jesse had commanded him. Now, David was not at the battlefield. 
his three older brothers were. This is because it was considered an honor to be chosen to go to battle. It wasn't like nowadays where if you're like 18 or older, like you can sign up and do it. Um, this was only like the father had to select his best sons to go to battle. David was left out. So already rejection is, is loud and clear. David, he's not good enough. He's not strong enough. He's not smart enough to fight. And so he's got to watch the dumb sheep. And his dad has him out there in the, in, in the pasture. And, and then he tells him to be an errand boy and to take some cheeses uh, to the captain of the army, take some grain to his brothers who actually are doing the hard work of fighting. And um, here he goes. So he comes to the encampment. Um, and he comes just as the host was going out to the battle line shouting the war cry. This is funny to me because they've been doing this for 40 days. Um, Goliath has been stopping them every single day. Goliath has been taunting them every single day. But look, every day... They're gearing up for it, man. They're, they're, they're fired up. They're, they're, they, they, they got the war cry. They're like, yeah, this is going to be the day. And Israel and the Philistines draw up for battle. By the way, this is what we look like as we constantly try to beat our giants, um, constantly trying to stir ourselves up and then always having the same results. Uh, they're, 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 they're ready, though. Got to give them that. I mean, at least they're persistent. And Israel and the Philistines draw up for battle, army against army. David leaves the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and runs to the ranks and went to greet uh, his brothers. And so next verse, he gets there, he talks with them. And behold, while they're talking, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath was his name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as he had before. In other words, he, 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 he gave out the same invitation. Look, one of your guys comes and fights me. Uh, if, 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 the, if your guy wins, we'll serve you. If I win, you'll serve us. Um, I defy the armies of, of the God of Israel. This kind of was, was his, his typical rant. Uh, one of the... One of the rabbinical writings says that he said, uh, since your God is a, quote, man of war, how about he come down and fight since none of you will fight? <laughs> uh, he, got, he got taunting not only them, making fun of them, but he started making fun of their God as well. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And, and we often give them a hard time because they were, they were wimps. They were fearful of this guy. Um, it is true he was like nine feet tall. The Bible describes his height, describes the weight of his armor and things like that. About 125 pounds was his armor. Um, some, 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 some pretty big weapons. Um, but some of the things that the Bible doesn't say in this particular passage, but hints at in other passages, are one, um, that he had six fingers and six toes, six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. Another is that he's believed to be uh, the descendants of, of uh, Anak, which is a guy back in the book of Joshua and Deuteronomy. De De Deuteronomy, you're going to find this guy, Anak. One, one guy I heard, uh, he, he said that he believed Anak was like 32 feet tall. That's a little more than nine feet tall. Um, and the reason why Anak would be so ridiculously large is they trace it back to Genesis chapter 6. And if you want to read a weird chapter in the Bible, read Genesis chapter 6. Uh, it's this fascinating story about how the sons of God, actually in the Hebrew, the sons of the gods, little g, um, came down, the spirits came down and mated with human women and produced... Um, the Nephilim or superhuman, this is kind of the Hebrew word for this hybrid human that were strong and did great exploits. Um, and it kind of leaves it at that. It's this weird sort of story. A lot of people don't know how to take it. But actually, it's interesting if you research um, many religions across the world, you're going to find that almost all of them have some kind of strange story like this. 
Um, uh, we were watching Moana last night with the kids. You have the demigod. Um, what can I say except you're welcome? Yeah, Maui, Maui, the demigod. Like he's he's the combination of a, of a spirit, like a god and a uh, and a human. And uh, there was there was Achilles um, for the Greeks. Um, the Egyptians had all these like half god, half human like things that were kind of, and just just it's kind of interesting how almost all religions have this general story that of this odd pairing of humans and spirits and the bible speaks to that and so if you that's why it's why you need to read your bible because it's exciting it's fun it's fascinating and you'll learn something every now and then uh well well a, a lot of scholars believe that that goliath is tied into this lineage and he's like one of the last remaining from that from that sort of uh genetic mess that happened. Um, this is also one of the reasons why uh, many people believe that God sent the flood um, to destroy these 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 people that were infected with this weird gene. Um, that's another topic. But Goliath, we know, is much stronger than he appears. I mean, he's not just a tall guy with a sword. Um, his sword is even kept in a special place afterward. David says there's no sword like it. It was kept with the spiritual art artifacts in the tabernacle. So um, many of the, the rabbinical writings teach that he had special, like he had made the covenant with his god Dagon, and that covenant gave him supernatural powers with his sword. I don't know what you feel about that, but it's just interesting. I think Goliath was just bigger than he looks, and, 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 and that's really how our giants are, actually. Um, uh, those who struggle with a giant of addiction, for instance, you might just look at them and say, well, you know, it's just, it's just, it's, it's just alcohol, right? If you struggle with alcoholism, well, just stop drinking, right? It should be simple. Just, it's just a nine foot guy with a sword. Just take them out. No, it's not that simple. Uh, alcoholism is much deeper than just, it's not just a drink. You can't just stop drinking. Uh, it's not that easy. You don't, you don't get into it because it's that easy. And the, the giant of alcoholism has, a, has he's got secret powers that you don't know about, dude, unless he's in your life. Same thing uh, with sexual addiction. Same thing with any kind of giant, with a giant of rejection. It's not just like, well, hey, well, why don't you just like be happy and then you won't feel rejected, you know? Just be confident, right? Just watch Oprah every morning and then you, you know, and just, you know, like, you know, I, I is good, I is kind, I is whatever. And, you know, just write it on your mirror every morning. No, like, it's not that easy. It's not just something that you memorize. Oh, I'm really worth it. I'm really, it's, it's not, it looks easy from the outside, but I'm telling you, giants are more powerful than they look. This guy, people, these soldiers are running from him. They could have ganged up on him if he was just a nine foot tall, tall guy. I mean, he's not just Shaquille O'Neal with a sword. This guy's got, got power that, 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 they, that we don't even really know about at this moment in history. Uh, the rabbinical writings say that, uh, which, I, which I mentioned the first week, that after Goliath died, that the Jews rushed on him, cut open his chest, pulled his heart out, and on his heart was, the, was, was, it was, was burned on his heart the image of his god Dagon. Um, I don't know if that's far-fetched or whatnot, but it's kind of cool, you know. It's kind of, you know, Braveheart-ish. But anyway, uh, it's, 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 it's interesting, man. Like, sometimes you don't know what you're dealing with until you actually have to deal with it, you know. And so it's easy if you look at somebody else's giant. But I feel like rejection is one of those things that, that all of us deal with on some level because all of us have been rejected on some level. All of us have suffered, whether it was an actual rejection or a perceived rejection. It could have been somebody that, that it's oftentimes in our childhood, it could have been like our parents or somebody who meant well, um, but they spoke words over us that still echo in the back of our minds. 
um, these words of rejection. And the reason why we're so susceptible to it, I believe, is because we are actually, we are born in a way rejected. The Bible says we're born in sin, which means we're estranged from God, which means we're, we're born feeling disconnected from the God that we were supposed to be connected to. And so in many ways, the enemy seizes on that early in our childhood, and he uses that against us. Now, that feeling of, of, of disconnectedness with God is supposed to draw us to God so that we call on him, and, and Christ has already made a way for us to become connected with him. But oftentimes, the enemy will use that, and sometimes even religion will use that to get us to do certain things and to be something that we are not even meant to be. And we learn rejection. We learn how to be rejected. Oftentimes, people who grow up in the church, I grew up in the church, you, you learn that there are certain, uh, you know, like, you know, like when you're confessing certain things. Well, Lord, help me this week with, you know, but there's certain things you can say and there's other things that you can't because you'll be looked on as like weird, right? And so there's this, that's why so many prayers sound the same. That's why so many testimonies sound the same because we figured out that to not be rejected, we have to stay within this lane. And so the giant of rejection even creeps into church and says, well, you can't really express who you are. You can't really be honest and vulnerable and open because if you are, you'll be rejected. If you are, you won't be accepted. And it, and it has root, honestly, in reality. And so when we come to this story, uh, David comes into this story. He starts talking with his brothers. He hears the words of Saul or of, 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 of Goliath. The men of Israel flee from him. And the men of Israel start talking to David. They said, have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. And the king, the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house tax-free. Come on, somebody. And David said to the men who stood by him, what? David is surprised. He said, what shall be done? Now, David doesn't have a hearing problem, okay? But David asked again, Run, run that by me one more time. What shall be done? He's not asking because he didn't hear them the first time. He's asking because this is crazy. The fight. <laughs> He's like, I thought you guys were fighting. Like I, I came, I heard the shouting, I heard the, you know, the armor, the swords, the shield. everybody's ready. And then, and then, and then it's like, no, no, not really. Um, the first guy to take him out gets a sticker, and then they get tax-free stuff. And then, I mean, what, <laughs> what is, this? is this Disney World? I mean, I thought we were in a battle. I, like, like, nobody signs up for war and then has to be motivated by, you know, well, okay, well, if you'll fight, then I'll pay you X amount of stuff. No, not necessarily. Like, you kind of know the terms before you get to the battlefield. It, David's a little confused. He's like, what? so you're telling me, you're, you're, you're telling me that nobody's fighting uh, even though the king has now said great riches tax-free get to marry his daughter all this stuff like wow okay and so now he says the next question on his mind which nobody ever answers who is this uncircumcised philistine that he should defy the armies of the living god and that's much of what we're talking about in the giants of our life who exactly is a giant of rejection that he should steal the glory of god in your life it's, it's, just, it's just kind of that kind of that question, like how big, how powerful, is he as powerful as God? Is he as great as God? Is he as strong as God? Is he as true as God? And they don't answer that question. Instead, they answer in the same way, so shall be done to the man who kills him. Well, we don't know about the, the second question, dude, but we know the reward. 
Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? Remember, you weren't chosen, dude. The three oldest sons, we were here to fight. Why have you come down? He's questioning his motive. Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? <laughs> By the way, Eliab's not con really concerned about the sheep. All right? He doesn't really care about the sheep. This is a question uh, that's not, it's a rhetorical question. He said, I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. You've come down just to watch. You haven't come to work. You've come to watch. What is he doing? He's reminding David where he's come from. He's reminding David of his place. This is the first thing the giant of rejection will do in your life. It'll often come from somebody who's close to you, closest perhaps to you. And they will remind you as soon as you start speaking up about taking down this giant, as soon as you start speaking about, up about moving forward with God, as soon as you start thinking about being baptized, come on somebody, or making any kind of significant step, this giant will rise up and say, who do you think you are? Don't you know where you were yesterday? Like, you know, uh, people feel like their past is holding them back. And, and, and I, I think that's true. The enemy will use our past to try to, 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 to hold ransom our future. He'll, he'll use our past to keep us in the past and to hold us back. But it's not always your past from like 10 years ago. Sometimes it's your past from like last night. Like he was literally with the sheep last night. Eliab's not talking about, you know, years ago, remember when you were, no, no, this is just, this is recent history. And this is what the giant of rejection will do. It will remind you not of ancient history, but of recent history. Don't you know your position? Don't you know that you were passed over by your dad for this job? Don't you know that, you, that, that Je Jesse chose the top three sons and you weren't on the list? Don't you know your job is with the sheep? Don't you know, don't, don't forget where you come from. That's what Eliab is doing. He's saying, this is your lane, dude. Stay in your lane. This is who you've always been. This is who you're always going to be. This is the giant of rejection. It speaks very closely to your identity. And he says, you, this is out of your league. Remember where you belong. Remember where you've come from. And um, I don't know if you've ever heard a preacher say, or, or you've read the bumper sticker, but uh, some people say that whenever Satan reminds you uh, of your past, you should remind him of his future. And um, uh, got a, that, that got an amen. Christian cheese right there. Um, just got an amen. A little, little, little bit of Jesus Velveeta for you. Um, I, it's fine. It's fine. I understand what you're saying because, you know, when Satan reminds you of your past, your past sin past mistakes. You should remind him of his future like he's going to burn in hell forever. Um, the downside is that every time you remind him that like he can't do anything about his future and you can't do anything about your past. So this conversation can literally go on forever. You remind him of his future. He reminds you of your past. You remind him of his future. He reminds you of your past. It's just, it's just, it's just a circle. It's a loop. And all your life, he's reminding you of your past, and you're reminding him of his future. Meanwhile, he's living in your past, and you're like living in his future. <laughs> this is not helpful to you. You never move forward. You never take out the giant of rejection when all you do. I mean, you know, uh, David could have just reminded Eliab of his future. Well, dude, you're not going to be king of Israel, are you? 
I mean, he could have just gone back and forth with them. Well, you're not going to be king. Well, you're not going to fight. Well, you're not going to be king. Well, you're not going to... And nobody moves forward. So, so my, let, let me tweak that a little bit. So whenever, I would say, when Satan reminds you of your past, give him an amen. Just encourage him to, to investigate thoroughly the past. This is great. Eliab is reminding David of his past as a shepherd boy, where he came from as a shepherd boy. That's good, Eliab. But let's, let's, let's rewind a little bit prior to that. Because before David was a shepherd boy, uh, we find David in, 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 in 1 Samuel chapter, I think it was chapter 16, he's being anointed by Saul to be king over Israel. So David literally went out to watch sheep with the smell of the anointing on his head for a job that he wasn't doing at the moment. God spoke to him in that moment about what he would be doing, not about what he was doing. And so David is watching sheep with the understanding that God had called him to be a king, that God had equipped him and anointed him to be a king. When you get an understanding of the anointing of God that's on your life, when you get an understanding of the anointing of God that is on your life, yes, your life, not just a pastor, not just a preacher, not just an evangelist, but you are anointed to accomplish the purpose of God in your life. God has anointed you. For instance, David himself in Psalm 139 said, when I was in my, if, if we want to talk about the past, devil, let's go ahead. Let's go to the past. If we can rewind all the way back to when I was in my mom's stomach, God made me all the delicate inner parts of my body, knit me together in my mother's womb. You saw me. God saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in his book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. So if we want to talk about the past, let's go back to the time when when I was in my mother's womb and God saw me in every moment of my life. He saw me when I was born. He saw me when I was anointed. He saw me when I was a shepherd. And now he sees me now. Just to, you, you can't judge me based on chapter two because God saw me in chapter one, chapter two. And now we just turn in the page onto chapter three. We're stepping into a new season. So yeah, shepherding was a part of my chapter two. Yeah, failure was a part of my chapter two. Yeah, divorce was a part of my chapter two. Yeah, abandonment was a part of my chapter two, but God already knew what was in my chapter two when he called me in chapter one. And so if we're going to look at the past, let's talk about the past. Let's talk about a God who knew me before I was even born, before people tried to mess me up, before I was rejected by man, I was accepted by God. You, you, you got to hit rewind all the way. Make the tape go all the way back. Some of you 80s kids know what I'm talking about. you got to let it go all the way back to it. And then you know that you're at the beginning. Don't stop at the field. Man, I, 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 let's go ahead, Eliab. Let's talk about David went to the fight with the knowledge that he was anointed to be king over Israel. And if you lived with the knowledge of your anointing, I guarantee you the giant of rejection would not be able to stop you from getting in the fight. But because we don't know, because we allow the giant to define the past, the particular part of the past that he chooses, we only get a slice. We get a chapter. We get a slice. And, and we live in that chapter in our whole life. We never get beyond chapter two. And yet all the days of your life were written before even one of them came to be. Every day. God's already scripted. Your, he already knows your funeral. 
He already, he is, it's the whole thing. Now, it's not to say he approves of all the days. So some of those chapters, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't want you to go through that. That was, that was you being you, and you need to stop that. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not to say he approves of it, but he's aware of it. He sees it all, and in, in spite of it, he chooses us. First Ephesians, uh, uh, or Ephesians chapter 1, right, right there in the very beginning, uh, verses 3, he says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame. That he chose us. And this is one of the, 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 the antidotes to rejection, is to recognize the choice of God. In fact, sometimes I think when we listen to the voice of rejection, we're not so much doubting ourselves as we are doubting God's choice of ourselves. This is, this is clearly uh, stated in um, 1 Samuel chapter 15. Um, Saul uh, is, is here in chapter 17. He's scared of, of Goliath. He's not fighting. But uh, a lot of that is because of Saul's failure in chapter 15 and 13, which we preached about last week. But in chapter 15, Samuel says to Saul, and this is so interesting because Saul was like an overconfident guy, which is a sign of the spirit of rejection. Samuel said to Saul, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. In other words, he's saying, I know you don't think much of yourself, but couldn't you at least agree with God? Couldn't you at least come into agreement with his choice? So you haven't rejected just, it's not just self-consciousness that has caused you to fall. It's, it's this lack of God-consciousness. The heart of, of our identity is the question of what does God think of me? And whenever we choose to side with rejection, we really question the goodness of God and the love of God for us. After, 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 after David encounters his brother Eliab, the report goes around the, the, the ranks that he's, he's talking about fighting the giant. And so they bring him in before Saul. And sure enough, when he meets with Saul, he, he says, don't, don't, don't let any of... The men's hearts fail because of this giant. I will go and fight him, you know. And we've read that past couple of weeks. And what was Saul's first response? He said, you are not able. <laughs> so he's rejected by his brother, and then he's rejected by his mentor. You are not able. He's doubting his capabilities. And once again, David does not argue the point. David does not say, oh, yeah, no, actually I am. I'm pretty good with slingshot, and I can run really fast, and, you know, um, uh, yeah, I'm good at hiding behind rocks and stuff. Like, he doesn't start pulling out his credentials, his resume. He doesn't start explaining why he is able. Instead, he goes and tells two stories. He says a story about a lion and a bear, and he, in both of the stories... The conclusion is, he said, the same God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. The word deliver, that's a passive word. He didn't say the same God that helped me win that fight. He said, deliver me. It's almost like, like, he's like, dude, I get in trouble and then God gets me out of trouble. God delivers me. God saves me. It's completely passive, entirely not in his strength. There's no credit that can go to a guy who gets saved. Like if you're drowning in the ocean and somebody goes out there and saves you, nobody says, man, he did such a great job of getting saved. 
<laughs> you know? Like, it's not, like, now, now my son would ask me, did I do a good job of getting saved? Because he's always, he's a words of encouragement guy. Uh, so he's always asked me, did I do a good, do a good job of sitting? Did I, do, did I do, a good, do a good job of this? But nobody, like, in a rational mind is looking for an applause for getting saved or being rescued. David says, no, look, look, I'm not going to argue the point, right? You say I'm not capable. Actually, that's pretty true. Uh, I'm not capable, but I've been in several scenarios where I've not been capable, and I've seen God rescue me. God deliver me. He saves me. He just, he just comes in and, and, and takes over, and, and, and I'm still alive. This is two times, and I'm pretty sure that, that this giant is nothing compared to God. He's rejected by Saul based on his capabilities, and he doesn't reach within his own self. And that's what um, one author stated, uh, insecurity as, as chronic self-consciousness. Insecurity is chronic self-consciousness. I thought that was, it's kind of a clinical term, but it's interesting because uh, it is. It's chronically self-conscious, constantly self-conscious. Insecurity comes out of a chronic self-consciousness. So the way to defeat the giant of insecurity and rejection is not to become more self-conscious or to try to dwell on better self-conscious things like, well, no, uh, instead of telling myself I'm dumb, I, I tell myself that I am, you know, this. And well, But you're still about yourself. It's still self-conscious. It's still looking inward. And that's where the insecurity came from to begin with. And so David doesn't argue the point. He doesn't say, no, 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 I'm really not that bad. I'm actually a pretty good fighter. No, he, he, he says, okay, fine, it's true. I'm not really that qualified for the job. But here's the thing. God is able to deliver, like, even through weak people, even through people that don't really know what they're doing. God's able to, to save. God saved me many times before. He's God conscious. In front of Saul, he's, he's God conscious. And he brings up uh, who God is. And that convinces Saul. It takes down the giant of rejection that Saul was dealing with because rejected people will often reject other people. And so Saul actually accepts him and, and, and puts faith in him and allows him to go out to battle. And, and that's where he faces his, his Goliath. And the first thing Goliath does is laugh at him because, of course, he's going to be rejected even by his enemy. Goliath laughs and says, they sent you out? <laughs> Couldn't they send like a real fighter? Like, like, Goliath is himself surprised and somewhat uh, offended by the fact that they sent this little puny uh, model out, fair-skinned kid. Like, what? Like, do, what do they, he, he, he sees that as a reflection of how they view him. Do they think I'm, I'm really like a dog? Like, am I, are they just going to be able to come hit me with a stick and I'll run away? Like, is the, he's trying to figure this out because he also has dealt with rejection all of his life. And so that's what rejection does. Everything that comes at you, you see it as reflection of what people think about you. And so he says, man, these people must really think I am super weak when they send this kid out. And he's offended by that. And so he goes to war with the thing that to him tells him he's not a great fighter. Because if, if he was a great fighter, they would have sent out their best, their brightest, their strongest. You know, what's his name? Would have come out there with Achilles with the whole jumping thing with the shield and all that stuff. Uh, who's his, what's, what's that guy's name? I forget it. Brad Pitt, that's it. Yeah. 
also a pretty boy, but with a sword, he looks pretty formidable. He worked out for that movie. You know, I mean, like, okay, fine. They send that guy out, clearly they respect me. They send this little kid out, they don't respect me. They don't think I'm worth anything. The spirit of rejection is just breathing through this giant. But by now, he has nothing with which to fight. He simply tells him what the outcome will be. He says, you know what? You're going to be dead. I'm going to feed your body to the birds. I mean, you're not going to get a proper burial. I'm going to spread your guts all over this valley. He has nothing else to fight him with except this isn't going to work out well for you. And, and David really has nothing else to fight except, no, actually, you know, you're going to be dead and I'm going to spread your guts all over the place. And, you know, it's just kind of like, well, this is, this is how it's going to go down. Because this is a picture, really, of Jesus coming to earth for us. And Isaiah 53 tells us uh, that Jesus himself, this is a prophecy about what Jesus would experience, that he would be despised and that he would be rejected. That he would be despised and that he would be rejected. Jesus, like, you don't get any nicer, kinder, more gentle, more loving, more truthful, more honest, more, more brilliant, more, I mean, you don't get any, uh, he's, uh, the top, he's the top of everything. Every list, you can put him on. He's, he's at the top. But Jesus, the top of all the lists, would be despised and rejected by men. Why would he be that? He was despised so that we could be beloved. He was rejected so that we could be accepted. He was rejected by men so that we would be accepted by God. He was despised by people that it doesn't, didn't really matter. It's people. So that we could be beloved by the one person that really makes a difference. In preparation for this sermon series, I've been listening to a lot of, watching a lot of weird YouTube. I fell down some rabbit, YouTube rabbit holes. Um, dealing with rejection and, and social anxiety and things like that. And uh, I came across these teenagers, like late teens, and they're, they're, they're making these really um, powerful videos um, just sharing about how it feels to be them. And um, it was just eye-opening to me. It was powerful. Um, but at, at, at the end of, like, every one, there was always, like, this little blurb about, but don't give up because, you know, one of these days you're going to meet somebody and then, and, then, and, then, and they'll fully accept you for who you are and then everything will be wonderful. And, um, yeah, that, that's cute coming from an 18-year-old. Um, but I thought, man, that's not really how it works. And so I was scrolling down, I was scrolling down the comment section and then somebody said, yeah, and then that person will break up with you and break your heart and then you'll feel awful all over again, only worse. And uh, I thought that was funny because that's my sense of humor. But um, it's kind of real though, you know? It's funny to me how if, you, if the giant of rejection stands in front of you, the only, the only hope he offers you is that one of these days you're not going to be rejected. <laughs> That's it. There's no other hope. It's just one of these days, it's going to be this one special person and they're going to fully accept you. But anybody who's been married for more than 30 seconds, you know that even in the most committed, wonderful relationships, you can still feel rejection. Because, I mean, yeah, she does love you and stuff, but she still thinks your socks stink, you know, and she still doesn't like you leaving your underwear on the floor, and she still, you know, yada, 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 and she, she, she puts the toilet paper roll on the wrong way, and, and those are just the trivial stuff, you know, and, 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 and there's certain conversations, and there's phrases, and there's stuff that are said, and things that are hurtful, and, and, and even in the best relationships, man, it's, it's not like this one person completes you. 
It's fine when you're 17 years old and that's the way your world works, but I would suggest to you that, that there is one person that can complete you. There is one person that will accept you wholeheartedly, unconditionally, that will love you in spite of yourself, that actually knows all the things you've told him and all the stuff you haven't told him yet and all the stuff you forgot to tell him. Like he actually knows you and will accept you and will, and will support you. And his name is Jesus. He was despised. He was rejected so that we would be accepted. And that's where the giant of rejection starts to fall. When we experience true acceptance, not from uh, some other human who will, is fallible and will eventually find something wrong with you, but from God himself who already knows everything that's wrong with you and loves you anyway. This is where the giant of rejection falls when we receive his love. And, and, and of course, as Christians, you, we, you might say, well, I've already received it, but I'm still dealing with rejection. That's because you've received the beginning of it. You accepted the fact he died for you. But have you accepted the fact, have you laid your rejection down at the place where he died for you? Have you understood that he was rejected for you? Have you understood that he was put to shame for you? Hebrews says, consider him, consider him who has, who endured such hostility from sinners. Hostility means anti-speaking, such evil speaking, such rejection from sinners. Consider him, think about him, consider him who endured such, such, such rejection from sinners. This is where our freedom comes from. When we start to place ourselves at the foot of the cross and we consider that Jesus stepped into our battle. Jesus dealt with our rejection. He took it on himself. He was rejected just like you should be and just like I should be. But he was rejected. He was despised. He, he was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief and we rejected him. We hid our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him, but Surely he was bearing our griefs and carrying our sorrows. The very people that rejected him, he was carrying away our rejection. <laughs> Yet we esteemed him stricken. We thought he was smitten by God. We thought he was a sinner. He was, he was perceived as a sinner so that we could be presented to God as a saint. He was called the son of the devil so that we could be called the sons and daughters of God. He was, he was stricken so that we could be saved. He was, he was bruised for our iniquities. He was, he was wounded for our transgressions. And the chastisement, the thing that, that, that caused him pain was for our peace. Not so that we never have to go through pain, but so that the pain that we have, we can lay at the foot of the cross. Not so that we never have to have any transgressions, because we do have those in the past, but so that we can lay them at the cross. Not so that we don't make mistakes, so that we can take those mistakes to the cross. There's somebody who has dealt with them and with the rejection that comes from them. We can lay them at the foot of the cross. All we like sheep have turned away. Everyone's gone his own way, but God laid on his son the iniquity of us all. And his son took it. And his son crucified it to the cross. And his son killed it. So that rejection could be dead in our lives and the power of it could be useless in our lives. So that like David, we could step into the battle and we could hear the words of rejection, but we can respond 
differently. Would you close your eyes with me for just a minute? Let's 